Looking for a graduation gift to inform, inspire, and encourage? When you give a subscription to Christianity Today, you're giving redemptive, relevant news and thoughtful balanced dialogue about the church, current issues, and public theology. Visit orderct.com slash graduate gifts to get a discounted student subscription for the graduates in your life. Starting at only $2 per month, this gift will engage and grow their faith throughout the year. Click the link in the show notes or visit orderct.com slash graduate gifts to order now. is the Church Law Podcast, where you can get practical solutions for today's leaders. I'm your host, Erika Cole, the church attorney. Welcome back to the Church Law Podcast. I'm your host, Erika Cole, and I'm so happy to be with you for another installment. Today, I actually have with me a fantastic guest. You're going to be so excited to hear from her. We're going to be talking about charitable giving, cryptocurrency, and why your church needs more giving options, especially now. And that's with Aquanetta Betts. She's an attorney and philanthropic executive at World Vision. So Aquanetta Betts, again, is the Senior Executive Director of Planned Giving for World Vision for the Eastern Region of the United States. She was drawn by the opportunity to join a global Christian humanitarian organization that partners with children, families, and their communities to reach their full potential by tackling the causes of poverty and injustice. But prior to joining World Vision, Aquanetta worked for 11 years as an estate planning attorney helping her clients by drafting their estate agreements um, in order to reflect their charitable intent. Her practice was focused on wills, trusts, and estates, and she also serves on the boards of the National Bar Association, Real Property Trust and Estate Section, along with Chesapeake Plan Giving Council and other really respected organizations. I'm going to ask her to explain more about her designations because she's really fancy. She holds a CAP designation from the American College of Financial Services and the AEP designation from the National Association of Estate Planners and Councils. She earned her Juris Doctorate from Nova Southeastern University's Shepherds Broad College of Law and her Bachelor of Arts in English from Florida International University. Welcome to the Church Law Podcast, Aquanetta. Wow. Well, thank you, Erika. And I appreciate um, the invitation to be here to share information about charitable giving and ways to position your church to accept certain gifts. Um, I will shed a little light on the different designations that I have. Um, The Chartered Advisor in Philanthropy It is a designation that uh, took about 12 months to actually complete. Uh, It's a three-part course, uh, exam and everything, but it actually um, gives me insight as to why people are motivated to give. And so it gets to the heart of their, their giving and their families and their philanthropy. So really good designation to have. Um, And the other designation, the, 
accredited estate planner designation is also one that is based on my years of experience doing estate planning work for many, many clients and different organizations that I've worked with over the years. So that gives you some more information on those designations, but they really help me in the work that I do. Very impressive. Thank you so much for shedding light on that. And I'm excited that today's podcast um, allows church leaders to find out new and unique unique ways that their members and other donors can can give. Because as we all can appreciate, um, really now more than ever, it's critical that churches are aware of all the ways um, they can receive support and that their donors can feel that their church um, is um, committed to programs and, and services that will allow the legacy of Christian programs to continue. So we want to make sure that churches can be on top of committing to their donors that they're positioned, right? That they have done all of the legwork to be in the best place to receive these charitable gifts. So I feel like most churches are are still focusing on outright gifts. So that would be things like tithes, offerings, cash receipts. But In this podcast, we want churches to learn how they can position themselves to receive other types of gifts. Can you share a little bit about other options they should maybe be considering at this time? Absolutely. So yes, there are so many different types of gifts. And you can be certain that your churchgoers, your members, your congregants, they are folks that have these different types of assets. Sometimes the the gap is that the churches are not putting the information before them to let them know that, yes, you are ready to accept these gifts. So it's important that you put the information out there for them. So there are many different types of gifts. Of course, we know, as you mentioned, about those outright gifts. And those are wonderful. Those are gifts in the door today because there there are things that need to be done now. I get that completely. There are expenses to running a church, but keep in mind that many of your members, they can give some of their largest gifts and they want to, but sometimes it will happen later. Mm. So there can be those planned gifts through their wills or through their trusts, beneficiary designations, if it's a life insurance policy. And churches in many places, different states have different laws about this, but certainly your advisors can shed light on that for you. But churches have a special position, a unique position when it comes to even life insurance policies. So I won't go into all the the weeds about that, but just know that beneficiary designations on financial accounts, those are some of the easiest assets that your members can actually leave to your church. Those are the easiest. Then there are appreciated assets such as stock. And in 2021, we all saw a record increase in the market. It was phenomenal. And so a lot of stock, it can be gifted. There are ways that that can be done. And there are organizations that can assist you to actually accept stock gifts. So don't rule those out. Let your members know that you're you're ready and that you can accept them. There were large gifts given in 2021. Real estate gifts. Don't think they're too complicated. There are, again, ways that these gifts can be brought into your organization. They can be accepted. 
there are consultants and other folks that can help you along the way with these gifts. They may seem more complicated, but you do have people who want to make these gifts. They may just think your church is not ready for them. Donor advised funds. A lot of folks in your church, they will have donor advised funds. Fidelity, Schwab, Vanguard, they have billions and billions of dollars in donor advised funds. And so you want to make sure that your members are aware that donor advised funds, they can make grants to your church. So I want to pause right there, Aquanetta, just for a moment. I know that we're not going to go too far into the weeds today, but just two points I want to make before we continue uh, on these, these other options that churches should consider. The first is Obviously, different churches have different memberships. However, most churches aren't made up of billionaires, right? We're talking a lot of more or less everyday people with, you know, a few spikes of wealthy people there. The information that we're sharing really goes across the board. It really does. So I want people to to understand and to appreciate the fact that while everyone might not um, be able to donate at, to the same level, the more a church makes it clear, a more a church communicates about its positioning to receive a broader spectrum of gifts, the more likely they'll become aware of the people in their congregation who can make those gifts. So I just want to highlight that. No, that's um, excellent. Secondly, can you tell us what a donor advised fund is? A lot of people might be familiar with DAFs, but some people may not. Yeah, so donor advised funds, they are actually growing in popularity. Uh, Many different uh, organizations have them. Like I mentioned before, there are some like Fidelity, Schwab, there's Vanguard. Those are some of the largest ones. And so donor advised funds are, uh, they can also be held by different nonprofits. At World Vision, we actually do um, offer donor advised funds. We are a supporting organization. Um, So a donor advice fund, in a nutshell, if you would like to set up a donor advice fund, you can make an initial contribution to set it up. And there are different uh, initial contributions that are required to set up that donor advice fund. Different places will require different amounts. Some have really lowered that amount. So again, to Mm -hmm. your point, some places it may be now, I think Fidelity has gone down to under $1,000. We can certainly check that amount out, but it has been lowered. Um, well, vision is 10,000 and that was lowered from 25,000 just a couple years ago. So again, it's to your point, um, yes. these things are much more, um, available now and open to a wide range of, of folks. Yes. And so don't advise someone, make your initial contribution, set it up. And then the funds can actually remain in that donor advice fund for the most part for a long time. Some mm-hmm. of them are even right now into perpetuity for yeah as long as the fund is around. Um, And then you can make grants out of your donor advice fund to different charities, nonprofits, churches. Exactly. once you make that initial contribution or a subsequent contribution to your donor advice fund, you get an immediate tax deduction for that Mm -hmm. amount. Mm -hmm. Even though those funds are not granted out for sometimes months or years after you make your contribution. And I see in my instance, as an attorney who has represented churches and church planting organizations, denominations, et cetera, 
for over 20 years, the benefit of a donor advised fund can be instead of an individual having to create their own tax exempt organization for purposes of making certain contributions or supporting um, organizations that um, like their church, they can use a donor advised fund that's you know a bit more of a direct route, perhaps. So I love Absolutely. that option. Yeah. Um, so let's continue correct. with with some options that we want churches to consider, and then I also want to save a few minutes to you know help churches know how to position their organization to receive these kinds of gifts. So are there some other um, options, some other gift options that we want to share? Yeah, the the IRA, the individual retirement account. Now, this one, there have been some changes over the years. There was the SECURE Act that came about in uh, 2019, which made some sweeping changes to the way um, IRAs are handled. But here are some, some numbers, some ages to keep in mind. Keep in mind those folks in your church qualify charitable deductions from an IRA. They can occur when an individual turns 70 and a half years old. So what that means is an individual can make a gift from charity. I'm sorry, a gift to charity. They can make a qualified charitable distribution from their IRA administrator. It will go directly to the charity of choice. It could be your church. And that individual will not have that as a taxable event. Mm. That's at 70 and a half. Now, once the individual turns 72 years of age, the government says they have to take a required minimum distribution from their IRA, regardless of whether or not they need those funds. So they can also have a portion or all of their required minimum distribution, which is an annual amount, and it's based on a formula of how much is in the account and age and all that. They can have that required minimum distribution go directly from the IRA administrator to the church, and it's not a taxable event. Again, that money has to come out by law. So if they're giving already to your church, they can just have that money come directly from the IRA administrator and go to your church. Believe me, trust me, I know people who do it all the time, and they love it. So it's a win-win for the church as well as the individual in most cases. Yeah, it sounds like it's it's a benefit to the church. And also it sounds uncomplicated to the donor. So those are positive things. So I want to wrap up some of those giving options. Maybe we can mention two more. Um, Want to talk about maybe an annuity? Absolutely. So there's a charitable gift annuity, which is really, really uh, a good idea for folks who are looking to be charitable at the same time is also they can receive income um, when they set up a charitable gift annuity. So there are different organizations that um, have charitable gift annuities that can be set up at the organizations. And it's a little different, of course, than a commercial annuity. With the charitable gift annuity, again, there are organizations out there that can assist your church with setting up a charitable gift annuity. So for your your church um, member who wants to set up a charitable gift annuity, they would set aside or set up those funds, put that in the gift annuity. That member would then receive some uh, annual payments from that gift annuity. But then at the end of that gift annuity, usually at the end of the person's life or a term, 
the remaining uh, funds in that gift annuity will come to your church. So the person's being charitable and they're also receiving some sort of an income from that gift annuity as well. A lot of people find that very attractive. Yeah, I could see the the attractiveness of that. The last one we're going to touch on is one that people ask about a lot, and I'm sure that you get this question, and it's around cryptocurrency. Um, again, you know, it, it, it it's one of those areas where sometimes people feel strongly about it. They're strongly for it. They're strongly against it. But we're just really talking about if, in fact, you have cryptocurrency as a part of your portfolio, and if you as a church are willing to position yourself for receipt of cryptocurrency, it could be beneficial. You want to talk about that? Absolutely. I'll, I'll give you a, a bit of a story on cryptocurrency. Um, at World Vision, we started accepting cryptocurrency last year. And it was actually on the, um, the nudging from one of our wonderful supporters and asked if we accepted cryptocurrency. And at the time, the answer was no. The follow-up was, well, you should. And so we did our research, our homework, and um, there are different organizations that can assist churches and other organizations to vet cryptocurrency. There are folks that do this, and then they can sort through what sorts of cryptocurrency your church would like to accept. Uh, There are hundreds of different types of cryptocurrency, so you don't have to accept all of them. You can determine what works best for your particular church. And uh, once we started accepting the cryptocurrency, we have actually um, received significant amounts of cryptocurrency. And wow. so, yes. And so there are, the moral of that story is there are people out there. There are members that you have. They're likely holding cryptocurrency. And if they bought the cryptocurrency earlier on, they've seen significant increases in the value of the cryptocurrency. And so that's what we're looking at in many cases today. And it's it's a very volatile currency, up, down, up, down. But if they have had it for a while, they have certainly seen an increase in value. So it's yeah. worthwhile. And there are some churches that are accepting cryptocurrency. There are yeah. some, they, they do it very, very well. So again, there's something that certainly can be looked into. Well, it's pretty funny that you mentioned that. So I will say, you know, I'm no expert in blockchain or Ethereum or all the different kinds of cryptocurrency, but I did buy some a couple of years ago at someone's recommendation and I bought it through an app. I used that app and purchased it and I literally forgot about it. I literally forgot about it until I was, you know, trying to go through, um, it, it sort of popped up as a, something on my having to, you know, renew the policy or something came through in an email. And I was like, you know what? I do have that account. And I looked at it and I was shocked to see that it like quadrupled or more in the time that I'd sort of forgotten about it. So I do think that, you know, setting it there and forgetting about it is probably a good way to approach it. Like many other kinds of investments, I guess. And the ability of a church to receive it. Again, I think just the fact that you're communicating about it positions the church as being open and that process of vetting. I just want to echo that. I think that's really critical. I do want to mention one other unique vehicle that, you know, it's hot on the scene right now and that's metaverse. Frankly, it's, I'm still trying to wrap my head around how it functions. So we know it's a a network of 3D virtual worlds focused on social connection. So in the metaverse, things exist and 
including real estate and other kinds of things. And you can literally purchase within the metaverse. Now, I got to tell you, I still haven't like wrapped my head around it, but I do think as a practical matter, what we're wanting to communicate is that churches want to position themselves to stay on top of these other giving vehicles outside of, you know, people writing checks and giving cash and um, property, et cetera. At the same time, as we wrap up the interview, I think it's important to mention that churches and specifically their governing board, you know, you're going to want to vet what you receive and what you're not willing to receive, right? So I've been in positions where I've seen people sometimes not necessarily, you know, meaning anything negative, but they're just looking to unload something that may or may not be a benefit to the church. So if, for example, someone wants to donate a property, but that property has all kinds of issues and you've got to do all kinds of soil testing, environmental concerns, things like that, it's always my advisement that the church have a clear process of what they will consider, a process of how they will determine whether a gift is something that they'll receive. And we generally call that a gift acceptance policy. So every church should have a gift acceptance policy as you are considering these things. Are there any other, maybe you can mention two or three other important points as a church is considering positioning itself for non-cash asset gifts? Yeah. So thank you. Yeah. You have really uh, you know, hit the nail on the head here with the gift acceptance policy. That is really critical. And it goes back to um, the one item that I always put first is to get leadership on board with what your plans are for fundraising. Because oftentimes folks are really fixated on the outright gifts in the door today, right now, immediately. That's like the easiest type of gift to take a look at and accept. But it's when you get into the more complicated gifts, people tend to stand back and say, wait a second, I don't know if we're ready for that. So leadership on board, the gift acceptance policy has to be in place. And in many cases, you may want to get uh, professional fundraisers or consultants that can help you with these complicated gifts. They do these all the time. Of course, use technology, whether it's on your websites to inform if it's some other, an app, or if you send out text messages. So utilize what we have available to us and get those messages out to your members, whether it's through emails or some special marketing. Um, Let them know what your plans are for accepting these gifts. If they don't know you accept these different types of gifts, then they're likely not to, to make those sorts of donations. So provide them with information. No, I think that's really good, Aquanetta. The the key message I think here is that we want churches to be positioned to initiate this conversation around being open to certain non-cash gifts that may not be front of mind for, for some church leaders prior to this, but we really want them to be equipped to have these kinds of conversations with their donors. And I just want to acknowledge that there are a number of tax-related considerations. There are um, certain matters around donor responsibility as well when we talk about these kinds of gifts. So um, just check the show notes. We're going to pop in some information um, that you'll be able to utilize, some other articles that you can read and really get more information here. So 
Aquanet, I just want to thank you so much for your time, for carving out this time for being with us today. And I want to let listeners know that this podcast is brought to you by Church Law and Tax and is a part of the Christianity Today podcast network. Today's episode is sponsored by Take the Next Call, a six-week live course where I help burnout pastors take the next step toward a life of more joy and contentment so they can truly serve the Lord with gladness. Learn more at www.takethenextcall.com and feel free to share your comments and questions with me. I plan to read each of them and maybe I'll get to answer your question on an upcoming episode. Reach me at contact at takethenextcall.com and subscribe to the Church Law Podcast to get each new episode and join us on this journey. This podcast is brought to you by Church Law and Tax, part of Christianity Today's podcast network. This podcast is designed to provide accurate and authoritative information in regard to the subject matter covered. It is provided with the understanding that the host and the publisher are not engaged in rendering legal, accounting, or other professional services. If legal advice or other expert assistance is required, the services of a competent professional person should be sought. Due to the nature of the U.S. legal system, laws and regulations constantly change. Listeners are encouraged to consult with legal counsel to verify the information provided here remains current. Visit churchlawandtax.com for more insights.